This is the kickoff of our summer E and E training series. So once a month, June through August, we're going to be focusing on how to share the gospel with different religions. And as you can see tonight, we are focusing on how to share the gospel specifically with Hindus. We have a very special guest with us tonight. I can't wait for you all to meet him um, in just a few moments. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ali Braun, and I'm the Director of Special Projects at International Commission. I've had the privilege of serving at International Commission for the past two and a half years, and I oversee all of our training in evangelism and discipleship. I'm the host for these e, &E trainings. We've been doing them since last August. It's been such a joy and privilege. I also help out with our marketing, social media, even our fundraising events. So if you have any feedback, questions or comments that you'd like to give, please feel free to email me anytime. That's allison.braun at ic-world.org. So if you're new to International Commission, if this is your first e, e training, maybe someone invited you here tonight, our mission is equipping and enabling believers worldwide in order to conduct church-based evangelism projects so that we can reach unbelievers and make disciples. So what does that mean? We exist to equip and enable the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we're here on this earth. And so our mission at everything at IC is to encourage, equip you with different tools and resources um, in order to share the gospel, help start how to have a faith conversation, how to share the gospel, how to share your testimony in a straightforward and simple way. So everything we do at IC is funneled through this vision of equipping and enabling God's people. So that's where we get the, the E and E for E and E trainings. It stands for equipping and enabling training. So that's exactly what we're doing here tonight. We're here to equip and enable you. And so we actually have several other resources at International Commission that I just want to make you aware of if you don't know. So we have a free evangelism toolkit located on our website anyone to download and we have um, PDF guides, we have videos of instructions in some of these things that I just mentioned, how to share your testimony in 15 seconds or less, how to start a faith conversation, how to share the gospel in simple, straightforward and reproducible ways. So we created this for you. It's on our website, internationalcommission.org. Um, we have the e, e trainings that you're on here tonight. If you want to watch any past e, e trainings, you can simply go to vimeo.com and type in International Commission. We also have an E&E &E show. So this is different from our training. It actually focuses more on um, special guests and kind of doing an interview style on different topics in evangelism and discipleship. Each show is around 45 minutes long. So you can head to YouTube, type in International Commission, and you will see the E&E &E show pop right up. And lastly, we have a book. A lot of people don't know, but several years ago, we wrote a book. And these are simply stories from the field that we've gathered from different staff members, just proclaiming what God has done on the mission field. It's incredible story. So if you like a good story, if you like hearing testimonies of what God is doing around the world, I encourage you to go to Amazon, type in Global God, and you will see what God is doing around the world through International Commission. Global God, A Journey with God on the Great Commission. So now that you've heard a little bit about International Commission and our resources, um, first, I just want to start off with 
a few questions and these might seem like elementary questions, but we can never be reminded too much of simple things that we see in the Bible. So first we're going to start off with what is the gospel? Why do we need to share it? And what happens if we don't? So what is the gospel? The gospel is simply the good news that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, taking the penalty of our sin, which is death. He took that upon himself, died. Three days later, he rose again. And the Bible says that if we trust and believe that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. So that is the good news. That is the gospel. That's what we want to tell people. But why do we need to share it? The reason we need to share is because that's what Jesus told us to do. It was his last words to us before he left earth. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So that's why we need to share because Jesus told us to. Okay, but what happens if we don't share it? Is this optional? Will there be consequences if I don't? And do I get any rewards if I do? Well, Matthew 24, 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So if you look at that verse backward, it basically says the end will not come until this gospel has been preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The church is God's plan A for reaching the nations. There is no plan B. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And he has called us to proclaim his name to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he will not come again until that has been accomplished. So that's what happens if we don't. So tonight we are focusing on how to share the gospel with Hindus. And why are we focusing on Hinduism? Well, first, it is the third largest religion in the world, um, comprising of almost 15% of the world's population. And tonight we're gonna be focusing a lot on India simply because India has the largest number of Hindus in the world. Uh, India is the second most populous country in the world, just behind China has a population of 1.3 billion people. So just to put that into perspective for you for a little bit, 1.3 billion people. The United States has 328 million people. That's one third of the population of India. And twice as many people in India identify as Hindus than the entire population of the United States. So 94% of the world's population of Hindus live in India. So that's why we're going to be focusing, um, of course, on Hinduism tonight, but a little bit more specifically on the Indian culture. And so maybe you're thinking, well, I've never been to India. I'm not planning to go to India. Like, why should this matter to me? You may not even know any Hindus in, in your life, but there's four reasons why this should matter to you. And the first is education. It's important to learn about what other people think and believe what they feel so we can grow a heart for them. Um, so we're going to educate you a little bit tonight. The next is compassion. As I just said, 15% of the world's population claim Hinduism as their primary religion. That means 15 out of every 100 people are Hindus and they are lost and dying without the saving knowledge of Christ. Next is location. 
we really have an advantage living in the United States. Many of you have already shared, you live in the US and the US is really a melting pot of different ethnicities, races, religion. And so God has strategically placed us as Americans in a place where he has brought the nations to us. And that matters a lot. Maybe you can't physically go to another country right now. Maybe you've never been, maybe you don't have the time or the money right now, but God can still use you where you are to reach every tribe tongue and nation. And lastly, this should matter to you for the simple fact of mission. God has called us to live on mission, to be on mission. And you may go one day to a primarily Hindu country. Maybe you've already been and you just want to learn more. Um, maybe that's not even on your mind right now, but he might be calling you there at a later point. So I'm so happy that all of you are on here tonight to get educated, to grow in compassion, to see the advantage of your location and to grow a heart for God's people that he's created and to live on mission. So now with all of that um, kind of introduction into tonight, now I'm gonna transition into uh, introducing our guest presenter tonight. I'm so excited. His name is Pastor Emmanuel Thomas. He's a pastor of Crosspoint Indian Church that's located in Plano, Texas, and they exist to passionately represent Jesus Christ and make disciples of first-generation Asian Indian families, professionals, and students. Pastor Thomas, you can see here, he has been married to his beautiful wife, Deepthi, for 15 years, and together they have an 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter, both of whom have accepted Christ, praise the Lord, and Pastor Thomas was born and raised in Bangalore, India, in a Christian household. Um, his paternal grandfather came from a Hindu background and accepted Christ because a missionary from the United States shared the gospel with him. I'll say that again. Pastor Emmanuel's grandfather was a Hindu, and he accepted Christ because of an American missionary that shared the gospel with him. That could be me or you. His grandfather was then ostracized and had to start a new village of his own. And um, Emmanuel's father, whose name was Thomas, was then raised in a Christian home. He married Pastor Thomas's mother, whose name was Susie. They had four children and Pastor Thomas is the youngest of those four kids. And although Pastor Thomas was raised in a Christian home, he has a very interesting story of the challenges he faced as a child and how he bore witness to his dad's faith in Christ, which sustained him during these hard times. And it eventually led to his salvation through a campus crusade for Christ youth camp when Pastor Thomas was 15 years old. So Pastor Thomas, welcome. We are so happy to have you here. Will you just start us off by taking one or two minutes and just tell us a little bit more of your story and the power of the salvation of Christ that carried you through those hard times? Uh, I want to thank God for this great privilege, this wonderful opportunity that has given me to meet all of you. Also want to thank Sister Allison uh, for the way that God has brought all of us together and for a time as this. And I'm sure uh, our eternity is going to say this time uh, and what God has done and how he's worked and orchestrated things in all our lives, uh, even as the gospel continues to further for his glory and praise and his kingdom extension. Well, uh, namaste. You know, that's something that we Indians say. We put our hands together and say, welcome. Thank you so much once again for joining us. And let me share about, uh, just to continue with what Sister Allison has already introduced, 
Um, born and raised in a Christian home, things were great, uh, till uh, my mother went to be with the Lord. At the age of nine, uh, I lost my dear mother. And um, as a nine-year-old boy, I really didn't get it. Uh, but as my mother's body was laid uh, in the front porch of our home, um, my dad's kingdom friends uh, walked in. Uh, and they said, hey, you know what? You are making good money. Uh, just put your kids to an orphanage and let's enjoy life. And my father very clearly said, I still can hear it in my ears. He said, my God does the best for me. And my children are my everything. I'm going to be with my kids. Let me tell you, many of the friends who left him that day never came back. And then, you know, I continued to still struggle. I was into this trauma of missing my mother. And my father, after my mother passed away in 86, October 31st, 86, 1986, after three years, he got married to my mom's own sister. Uh, she was a single lady. And he got married to her in 89. 92, she passes away. Two terrible blows. The same friends, some of them came again and said, what now? You know, one wife, okay, but what about this one? My father still said, my God knows what is best. He will always give me the best. They said, yeah, right. You know, you, you, you are crazy. We don't have anything to do with you. But as a child, you know, I, I was just amazed at my father's love for the Lord. In spite of this, in spite of these two terrible blows, in fact, he's 86, and he's still alive in Bangalore. And I know that if no one else prays for me, I know my father is praying for me. That's the legacy he's lived. And uh, God willing, if I get an opportunity, if things go better, I would want to go and see him again in person. And so that's how uh, God amazingly, uh, God has brought my father into my life. But I was so bitter with God. And so what I would do is at home, I was kind of, just for my sake, just for the sake of my father, I would be a good child. But when I went out, I was a black sheep. I would get involved with bad company. I wanted other friends, not church friends. I wanted Hindu friends, Muslim friends. But God had his own way. He orchestrated all these things, you know, prone to wander. So I wandered off, but God had a plan. And even as I went and made these friends, God had great time that I need to reach out. And today I'm burdened. I want to reach out to my Hindu and Muslim friends. And so in a Christian camp, I wanted to go to Christian camps just to disrupt. And so one such camp, camp organized by Campus Crusade for Christ, that's, that's where I heard this message, the gospel. And um, the speaker said, if you die today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? That night I couldn't sleep. Next day I met him and he led me to the Lord. And today, even as I look back, God orchestrated everything in my life for a time as this. And even as, even as the word of God says, the, the harvest is plenty, laborers are few. And as long as the world hears the gospel, he's not going to come. And so let's continue to share and hasten his coming for his glory and praise. And so that's uh, what I would kind of uh, share, sister. You know, why India? India is the most unreached people group. Now, if you look, I'm sure if you are involved in missions, you see this 1040 window. The whole of India fits into this 1040 window. 
And so you see those red dots, all of those are unreached people groups. And so there are, there are millions of them still who hasn't yet heard name Jesus. When they hear Jesus saves, they would say, which bank does he save money? And so people are literally, literally ignorant of Jesus. And so we need to go and we need to actually go and share the gospel. And Hindus are the most unreached people, even as the cream of the society come to America. In fact, they are the ones who get to come to America. And even they, even in America, most of them are still unreached. And we get this opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, let's talk about Indian culture. India is a land of cultures and it's cultures within cultures. It's, it's kind of very complex. There are many different languages. There are about 1600 languages and counting. In fact, there are languages which, which is only dialect. They don't have uh, the script yet. There are many sects, many gods. Hinduism has about 333 million gods and goddesses. That's a lot of God. And, and in fact, the most meaningful identity for a Hindu is his family. They're very close-knit. They're very loving, caring. Uh, in fact, when students come here to America, the father, the paternal head of the paternal head of the family still has a big say in, in, in the choice of the career that he makes, even the course, the subjects that he takes, the father would have a full say in the decisions that he makes here. So they're very closely knit. And so converting from Hinduism to Christianity is considered taboo. They're like, you are a born Christian, so that's why you're a Christian. I'm a born Hindu, and I will remain Hindu. That's their ideology. Uh, but God is still in the business of reaching out to his people, and he loves them. When he died on the cross, he didn't die for a particular group of people. He didn't just die for Christians, but he died for every person on planet Earth. And he had all these Hindus on their mind. And so here, uh, we need to reach out to our Hindu friends. Um, let's uh, move on. Uh, now, the next slide, we have a picture of all these different gods and goddesses. Uh, as y'all uh, have questions, y'all can please type in on the uh, chat box uh, to Sister Allison, and she will compile it, and we will definitely make sure we can answer all of those questions at the end. But quickly, I'll just run through these uh, pictures that you see. Uh, on the first, the first picture that you see, the three-headed uh, god with four hands, he's called the Brahma god. He's the creator god. And in fact, he is the god who actually uh, created caste system. Here we have racism, but there in India, it's caste system, which he kind of thought that the society would be, uh, would be, would be able to function smoothly. And so he had uh, this kind of uh, uh, ideology that he had, so he created uh, people from his head, and that uh, they are called Brahmins, the high caste. So he, since they all came popped out of his head, so they are the priests, uh, the teachers, and so they are high caste. You know, they are pure vegetarians. They would not touch any kind of meat. In fact, some Brahmins, some some Hindus of the top caste. Uh, they don't even eat anything that's, born, uh, that's, that's grown beneath the ground, like peanuts, ginger, garlic, potatoes, things like that. They would completely refrain from touching. And so they are the ones who came from the head. And then there was some part of uh, another section of people that, that he created from the shoulders. And so they are called Kshatriyas. So these are Kshatriyas are soldiers. 
uh, they are the people who, who are a part of the uh, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force. And so they are the ones who guard and protect. And they came from his shoulders. And then some of them he created from his ties. And his ties, uh, they are called Vaishyas. And so they are merchants, uh, people who do business and things like that. And then he created the last set of people from his foot. And they are called the Shudras. And so they, are, they, they do menial jobs like uh, being a cobbler or, or uh, cleaning your dishes or people who do menial jobs. And in fact, there, there's another section that, belong, that doesn't belong to these four categories who are called Dalits. In fact, they are the ones who are actually open to the gospel in India because they're not even a part of these four, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, this strata, this classification. And so he is the God who designed that. And in fact, if you see the first slide, uh, the first part of the slide, you see Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. This is called the Trimurti. This is a good uh, segue uh, for us to even initiate a spiritual conversation with the Hindu. You could say, you know what? We have something similar to this. You have Trimurti, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, we have something called Trinity, but we have, we have something completely different because we have one God, one essence, but three different persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the simple example you could give is, uh, uh, you, know, uh, well, you know, what is, I, I forget this. You know, it's, it's one thing, it has three different triangles, but made of one dough. Uh, it's an English, it's a, it's a cookie, <laughs> salty cookie. I'm not getting the name. Uh, that's, some, that's an example that you could give, but they are, they are three different gods. So Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, and then you'll see them in the different Hindu mythologies. Uh, we look at it. Uh, and again, there are two types of uh, basic uh, types of way uh, the sacred books came. One is by, uh, it's called Smriti. Uh, they have heard and they've passed it on and then Shruti, uh, what they've remembered and written it down. One is just kind of, uh, they have just verbally kind of translated, some have heard it, remembered, and they've made notes and it's all, that's other books. And so they are featured, all these three uh, main gods are featured uh, in Ramayana, which is uh, a, a kind of a mythological book. Then you have Mahabharata and uh, those are the two main uh, scriptures that they have. And then you have all these, you also have not only really male uh, gods, you have feminine gods. Uh, so they are, some are concerts, some are wives of these gods. In fact, if you see on the slide, the next slide on the, on the right, you see uh, Parvati and Ganesha and, uh, you know, King uh, uh, Lord Shiva, if you see, and if you have this question, why do people, uh, Hindus, both men and women, uh, men, they have a, a dot on their forehead and men would probably have it in different design. They would start from the center of the forehead all the way to the top of the head. Uh, and some would actually put it uh, over here. Uh, if you're married again, it is, it's red in color. Uh, but if uh, the husband dies, uh, the woman would wear a black dot signifying that her husband is no more. And so it actually denotes why they wear it is because Shiva, if you see that uh, Lord Shiva, he has a third eye on his forehead. And he's going to open the third eye when the world, the, the, the uh, you know, people are just a crime and everything, when sin increases in the world completely, which is, which is going to become unbearable, that's the time he's going to open the third eye. And if you see um, 
the picture is not very clear, but on the other side, if you see Shiva, the same God, a different picture, you see a little a kind of water fountain kind of coming off his headlocks. That is not that that river is River Ganges. And so he's believed to live in the Himalayas, and River Ganges is the holiest river. In fact, it is the most polluted river today because even as hospitals have no beds, all the bodies are being just thrown into River Ganges. People take dips in that people bathe, people drink that water. That water is actually sold, saying it's sacred river. Uh, sacred, it's a special river because it flows out of uh, Lord Shiva's head from the Himalayas. And then you have uh, all these gods. Uh, you have uh, the monkey god uh, with mus muscles. And again, they all have these different gods because uh, if I want to be a dancer, then I pray to Shiva with this other, other form, which is Nataraj. And so as a dance, uh, if, if I like dance, I would pray to him. Then if I want to build muscles, I would pray to the monkey god so that I can build muscles. And so everybody has a unique uh, kind of, they're known for that. Uh, like the monkey god is known for his muscles. He in fact carried an entire, uh, you know, Sri Lanka. You know, you see the entire island was actually lifted, they say, by uh, the monkey god. Now you see an interesting uh, picture there uh, next to uh, Shiva and his wife Parvati, uh, Lord Ganesh, the elephant god. He's called the god of good luck. Uh, you know, people, kids, uh, students who are about to write their exams would worship him. Why? Because they want to get good grades. He's a god of good luck. Now, if you ask this question, why does he have the elephant head? So this, the tradition goes by this way. Uh, uh, Shiva and Parvati were living in their house and you know, Shiva had to go and hunt. And so he goes off to hunt and while he is away, she wants to bathe and she applies sandal paste on her body and she says, there's no one to guard when I bathe. She takes out the sandal paste, she creates a being, she breathes life into him and she calls him my son and she says, you stand, watch and you guard while I'm bathing inside. And so he's standing guard and then Shiva after his hunting comes home and the little boy doesn't let Shiva get in. And so he's, they, they have a fight and Shiva gets angry and chops off the little boy's head. His head goes rolling over and then Parvati comes out and cries, oh, you killed my son. And, and he says, okay, well, you know, we'll try to fix this. Let me go towards the East. And again, this is something that you'll, you will come to uh, definitely you'll come to know most of the Indians would want to buy houses facing east. If it's facing west, they will not buy. They may come, if you want to have, if you want to sell a house, they may give reasons, you know, but that is the main reason. Vastu Shastra, because everything facing east is sign of a good omen. Even their excretion should actually go out into a particular direction. So they're very, very superstitious. And so in the east, he finds an elephant. He chops the elephant's head, brings it, places it on this body, and it comes back to life. And so he, and now these gods also have vehicles. So Lord Ganesh, the elephant god, his vehicle is a rat. There are some gods, if you see, uh, they have a peacock, uh, Saraswati. And then there are some gods who have bull, uh, cows, uh, as their vehicle. And so that is the reason they are purely vegetarian because they are gods. And they, they, they are the other reason why uh, they also not 
don't want to touch non-veggies because they believe in the cycle birth. Uh, you know, birth, death, and if you, it's always based on karma. You do good work, you do, if, if your good work outweighs your bad work, then you could be born as a human being. But if not, you'll be born as an animal. And you could be one of these animals, rat or anything. And so that's the reason they don't want to hurt anything because everything could be a form of God or someone who's come back after that rebirth. And so that's, that's how it is. So, so what do Hindus believe? If you ask the next slide, uh, there are, there's no such concept as Hinduism. You know, you ask anyone, they would not. They would probably scratch it and say, ah, I really don't know because it's so concept. Hinduism is made up of several spiritual beliefs. Every person, every family would have a, a favorite God. It's called Ishta Devata. And when you, when you become a Jesus follower, they become Eshu Bhakta or a disciple of Jesus. Now look at this. This is an interesting quote by the Supreme Court of India that actually defines Hinduism. It says, a Hindu may embrace a non-Hindu religion without ceasing to be a Hindu. Hinduism then both a civilization and a, uh, and a conglomerate of religion uh, with neither a beginning, a founder, nor a central authority, hierarchy, or organization. So you see the complexity of Hinduism. So anybody uh, could just become a part of Hinduism. And they feel that being a Hindu, you can still. That is why if you say Jesus is God, they would say, yes, oh, fine. We have 13 million, million gods and goddesses. We can always make him a part. But when you say Jesus is the only one, that's when they, they raise their eyebrows. The, uh, we also have Hans Stapner who says, Hinduism is a culture that has room for many religions. Christianity is a religion which can become incarnate in any culture. And so that is what we see uh, Hindus believe. Now, if you ask the question, are Hindus today turning to Jesus? Yes, of course. Uh, there are several uh, people who have come to know the Lord. Um, you know, you will see the uh, pictures popping. Now, the, the picture that you see is wearing a gown. He's a graduate of UTD. Uh, he's Akshay. Uh, uh, and he came to know the Lord, and I had the privilege of baptizing him, and in fact, he gifted me one ring that I'm wearing, which has a large prayer, uh, and that's Akshay, and you see all these pretty ladies, uh, all of them heard the gospel, the lady in the middle, uh, who's wearing a yellow sari, uh, actually, she said, she's a believer, but she doesn't want to tell, because she comes from the high caste, the Brahmin family, uh, her father is a priest, if she openly, publicly confess that she knows Jesus, he would not even hesitate to come all the way here and kill her because it's a disgrace for the family. Uh, in fact, he already had, uh, she said he already performed uh, a ceremony. While she was alive, he performed a ceremony, a funeral ceremony, saying that she's dead to the family. So that's the one. And the other girl in the pink, uh, she's, she also accepted Jesus Christ from a Hindu background. She's, she came to something called Tirum that we do every Tuesdays at the University of Texas, Dallas, UTD, uh, which is a wonderful university. 50% of them are from India. And so I give out Indian tea, Indian snack. They come uh, during their lunchtime. I just meet with them, connect with them, and slowly invite them to church. And then this girl slowly came. And then finally, one day she stood up and she said, I want this Jesus. And she accepted and then we have all these, the, the uh, pictures that you see, all of them have accepted Jesus Christ. Now, if you see uh, the man 
in the Indian Guard here, it took 13 years, 13 long years for him to say yes to Jesus. You know, some nuts are difficult to crack, but God, there's no nut for God, uh, you know, for God not to crack. He will. And so, uh, you know, it's, that's a challenge. Sometimes in my ministry, I'm like, God, why are they not coming to know the Lord? But God says, you be faithful. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he very clearly says, be, go be my lawyers. Does he say that? No. He says, go be my witnesses. All you have to do is just keep sowing seed as you go on, and God will do what he has to do. And so, uh, what is life for Hindus living in America? So the challenge of Hindu, uh, Hindu ministry to help a Hindu understand that they can personally accept Jesus Christ and that they can relate to Jesus in a way that brings dignity and honor to their family and greater Hindu. Uh, you know, Hindus ha often have a negative uh, perception of Christians. And so it is, it is, you have to win them by love. What happens is when they come to uh, America, their parents are already kind of brain, they're, they're very straight. Hey, you're going to a Christian nation. Be careful. They're going to convert you. So you got to love on them. Only love can transcend any culture, any given situation, and only love. And that's what God has done. God has poured out his love. Romans 5, 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts. And that is the only way we can share this love. And so Hindus believe that Jesus is for Christians, not for Hindus. They would say, oh, he's a Western God. He's a white God. And so they have that. Uh, and that is, that is, that's a challenge that we would face. Uh, sharing the gospel with uh, Hindus who are settling down in America. Going forward, uh, we also see, you know, a few Hindu, you know, they, they, this is what they say. In fact, they say uh, church, uh, in fact, when they say it is, church is like a rock concert with, with a philosophical speech in the middle of it. Uh, very pushy people. I feel like an American I meet, is, every American I meet is trying to convert me. Uh, so I think we have to be gentle, uh, we have to be kind, loving, and always, oh, what's your agenda? Where's the money coming from? In India, that's how people ask, okay, so you're doing this because you have somebody pumping in the money. So that's kind of the notion that they have. Now, when you reach out to Hindus, this is an acronym that you can reach out with. Um, stairs, you know, just for us to remember, stairs which is song storytelling. Any, especially Hindu culture, they have a lot of stories. As I mentioned, Ramayana, Mahabharata, all these Vedas are stories. They're filled with stories. In fact, Jesus, half of his teaching, more than half of his teaching was parables, right? It was simple earthly stories with heavenly principles, heavenly models. And so that's how Jesus would teach. And here, storytelling is something. So when you meet a Hindu, build a relationship, and start sharing stories, stories of what Jesus done in your life, stories of parables. You know, the Samaritan woman would be a good parable. Uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 would be uh, a good, uh, you know, story to share, uh, the parable of the talents, all these things there would be. And be teachable. They are teachable. And then Anubha, they need to get into this experience, uh, experience of answered prayers and things like that. And then incarnation. That is something that they would understand because they believe that their God's incarnate. And so we can clearly tell that Jesus Christ, 
He is God, but he became flesh. He became one of us. And so that's something. And then relationship, building genuine relationship is so important. And then being simple. Try to replicate what you're doing and be as simple. We don't have to use complicated terms, but very simple. And so that's a picture of uh, several uh, Hindus here. And again, as I said, Anubhav, which is the example of Anubhav is answered prayer, uh, dreams and visions, meaningful worship experiences, uh, divinely orchestrated coincidence, uh, that wisdom that speaks to family and relationship issues, appropriate respect and kindness, observing and respecting family formalities. And then the four stages of Anubhav, which is very important, this is uh, what I believe any Hindu would go through, like all of us. Uh, Jesus is one among the other gods. Then there's a stage where they say, okay, this God benefits me. When I pray, he answers my prayers. And then he becomes a favorite God. Remember I shared about Ishta Devata, a favorite God for every clan, every tribe, and every family. And then Jesus becomes a favorite God. And then there's this final stage where they say, okay, he is the one and true God. And I want this Jesus. Just like how I think we are, for all as believers, we have four stages. You are seeking, and then you kind of say, okay, I found Jesus. I don't want to give everything, but I want to go to church. I want to be a good guy. And then you come to this third stage where you say, okay, God, I want to do this. I want to spend more time for you. And the final stage is God, Colossians 3.23. Whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I want to do it for your good. That's, four, that's a four stage that I think even as believers, we kind of go. Uh, and some of us kind of oscillate between the third and the fourth. But whatever you do, maybe do it for God's glory. And so that's uh, kind of thing. And then how do you facilitate an experience? Build loving relationship. Just love on them. It starts with a smile, a handshake, genuine love. People are looking for love. You know, God loved us with this unconditional love. Don't expect anything, but just love on them. And I'm telling you, when you sow the seed with love, it will bear fruit. Sharing personal stories, both salvation and experience. Just be yourself. Just share your story. Then live life with Hindu people. Meaning, if they, uh, you know, what we do is uh, we we kind of when students come for two years, they stay with two years uh, at uh, at the University of Texas Dallas. So I have divided these two years into uh, four sections. The first is the first six months we identify. The next six months we intercede. The next six months. We, we, we kind of invest in their life. And then the last six months, we invite them to church. If we do this faithfully, something is going to happen. See, because you are actually doing life. If somebody is celebrating birthday, I take a piece of tape. At 12 night, hey, we want to celebrate. And I just pray. And that's something that you're doing life with. Share God, uh, storytelling. Again, Bible has many parables. You know, you see uh, the picture, that the guy who's sticking his tongue out. His name is David Armstrong. Uh, he is a man who sold out uh, and he loves India. You know, I say many people are white outside, but they're, they're, they're Indian inside. And so David Armstrong has, he lives missional life. He lives with his Hindu students. He's their roommate. And that's how he shares the gospel through his life day in and day out. And how to build relationship with, again, with Hindus. The relationship with Hindus must be open, genuine, uh, they, they, are, they, are, they are watching. You are the fifth gospel. They may not be able to read the Bible, but they're reading your life and my life every single moment. Indian friendships are authentic. They will go beyond. You know, if you go to their homes, they would 
you know, again, guests are gods. Atiti Devo Baba, meaning guests, gods come in the form of guests. So they will treat you good. And again, seek to be a genuine friend. Learn to say their names uh, correctly. That is something, uh, you know, God knows us by name. Can you imagine? And that's something that we need to learn. It just try to learn their name. Of course, I'm sure it's going to be a tongue twister for most of us, but try to get it. Uh, but of course, you know, people change the name. If they are Baburao, they make it Bob. Or if they are Krishna, they'll say, call me Chris, K-R-I-S. So you could, you could kind of do that, but still learn, learn to appreciate the Indian food and participate in the Hindu food culture. Um, learn to develop Hindu forms of courtesy and politeness. Learn how Hindu family structure works. Uh, learn about Hindu deities and worship forms. Learn about Hindu festivals. Uh, there are several uh, festivals, you know, I, I can kind of just quickly uh, go through. Uh, Diwali uh, is the festival that happens during November. It's a festival of lights. In fact, if you come to um, Frisco, Little End, there are so many Indians. In fact, I, I was wondering why have they put out Christmas lights so quickly, but it was actually for Diwali. Diwali is festival of lights. Then you have Holi, um, which is just not H-O-L-Y which is H-O-L-I, it's a festival of colors. And so you see, uh, even in, at University of Texas, Dallas, you, you have everybody playing with just colors. And, uh, and then you have Dasera, which is also in the month of October. Then you have Kumbh Mela. In fact, uh, they say that COVID, the third stage of COVID, uh, hit India because of Kumbh Mela. Uh, there are millions, millions of people coming uh, to River Ganges, taking their dip, and uh, it's called Kumbh Mela. It's a, it's, it's, it happens once every 12 years. So it's a big, big gathering. And so these are festivals that you could know and you could talk about, then learn about the Hindu holy scriptures. Uh, and as I said, Ramayana, Mahabharata, and the Vedas are the scriptures that you could just at least name them, Ramayana, Mahabharata, and Vedas. Uh, that would really make them, wow, you know a little at least, and I want to become your friend. And then learn the language. Uh, it's, it's difficult, but, you know, as you keep talking to them, you can. Uh, it, it really opens their eyes. By God's grace, uh, you know, I tell people I speak in tongues, <laughs> uh, jokingly, but I, I can speak in six Indian languages. By God's grace, I think I was born and raised in Bangalore. Uh, and when I go to UTD, University of Texas, Dallas, when I see a Tamil student, I start speaking in Tamil. When I see someone from Andhra Pradesh, I start speaking in Telugu. When I see them coming from the North India, I start speaking Hindi. When I see them uh, coming from uh, uh, Kerala, I talk to them in Malayalam. And so these languages really, oh, wow, you can speak my language. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came down, he moved into our neighborhood. He spoke our language so that we could understand, we could relate with him. And I think that's something that we need to do. Cultural do's and don'ts, all Hindus generally don't eat beef and pork. See, I love beef. If any one of you are inviting me home, steak is my deal. But when I go to India, I completely refrain from eating beef because they worship. And so it is something that they would appreciate. Even if you're inviting a Hindu home, if you're having chicken, that's fine, but keep it at least a mile apart. Uh, in a separate table, use separate spoons, veg and non-veg, that they would really appreciate. Uh, vegetarians will not eat uh, any meat, chicken or fish or anything cooked in even uh, chicken broth. Some may not even eat egg. Um, you know, always use separate uh, vegetarian dishes and utensils. Label the food if you have. 
you know, there was uh, one of my friend, American friends said, hey, I would give them cake. You know, I would bake them cake and give them every Christmas. They would take it, but then I would see it in the bin, in the trash. And then I said, did you tell them what you have? In the, you know, because it had eggs in there. So they wouldn't. So you could kind of label them and say, hey, this is what is there, what is not there. And then they would be okay to eat. And that pass or touch food with your right hand, you know, left is again, very superstitious. If you do something with left hand, it's very, it's a bad omen. So shaking hands with the right hand, if, even if you're left as a little child, if you're, you know, if you're trying to uh, start writing with your left, you may be a left-handed guy, but parents would, you know, spank you and make sure that you don't do it with your right hand. And then um, uh, dressing modestly, men should relate to men, uh, women should relate to women. That's, that's something culturally uh, uh, that they would appreciate. Um, and then again, why do we do it? Our sister actually brought it out very beautifully, very clearly right in the beginning. These are the last words. You know, uh, this is what Matthew 28, 16 says. And the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Isn't it amazing? Some still doubted. After being with him for three and a half years, seeing their miracles red-handed, still they doubt. Am I, I'm like that. I still doubt. I'm a pastor. But sometimes when I go through difficulties, God, how am I going to get through this financial crisis? How am I going to get through this month? But it is amazing. God still, though they doubted, Jesus still said, hey, you know what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know why my parents named me Emmanuel. It always helped me twice. You know, it kept me from getting into mischief because Emmanuel got with us, but it also gave me the boldness and courage. I would love to go and share the gospel with anyone boldly. Why? Because I know that God is with me and God is with you. He said he will be with you to the end of the age. And you know what? We need to trust the claims of Jesus. That is what he made. He said, all authority has been given to me. He's claiming it. And then obey the commission that Jesus gives. This is not a request. This is an army commander saying, you must go and share the gospel. If you are a Christ follower, there's no other go. You have to go. This is a command. These are his last words. And we need to go. And then embrace the comfort that Jesus said. Jesus said, I will be with you. In fact, the greatest assurance, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ and the picture that you see, the black and white picture is my mother, my dear mother, Susie, who went to be with the Lord October 31st, 1986. I know that I'm going to meet her face to face on that beautiful show with Jesus because she put her faith in Jesus. Because I put my faith in Jesus and she put her faith in Jesus, I'm going to see her. That's the greatest hope. Yes, do I still miss her? People say time will heal. Time has never healed. I still miss her. I missed her when I went to school. I missed her when I got, when I got married. I missed her when, I had a, when we had our firstborn, when we had our daughter. I missed her. I will still continue to miss her. But the great hope is I'm going to see her face to face. And so even as God has given us this great privilege and opportunity, if we are alive, God has not given up on you. It took a week for him to make everything around us but he's still working in you and me. 
And so grab every opportunity, every person that comes along your way and share the gospel. And as you go, keep sowing the seed. God will make it. I'm sure it will bear 30, 60, and 100 fold for his glory and praise. Once again, I want to thank God for this great privilege. Uh, I will hand it over to Sister Allison. And if you have any questions for the time that is at hand, um, I would request Sister Allison to take over. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Brother Mark. Uh, thank you, Sister Allison. Pastor Thomas, thank you so much. That was incredible information. I don't know about you all, but I was taking a lot of notes. Um, there's just a lot to learn. That was one of the points in what you can get out of tonight is education. There's truly so much to learn about these beautiful people God has created that do not yet know him. Um, so we do have a lot of great questions. We're actually going to save that um, until we come back from our breakout rooms. So this is something that's really key to all of our E&E &E trainings. We don't just want you to come here and listen to things and have it go in one ear and out the other. We want you to discuss it and put it into practice. And so I'm going to open up the breakout rooms in about 30 seconds, but this is what you're going to discuss in your small groups. You'll have about four to five people in your group. Um, discuss amongst yourselves two things that you learned, two areas that you feel like you need to grow in, in ministering to Hindus, and then discuss what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Let's take this time to really encourage each other to fulfill the Great Commission amongst this people. So you'll see a pop-up in just a second on your screen for you to go to your breakout rooms. We'll be back here in exactly eight minutes. Welcome back, everyone. I don't know if that was too much time or too little time. I know that there was a lot too of- Too little time. <laughs> too little time. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I know it yeah, always- Yeah, we enjoyed our discussion. Good, good. And I'm, I'm sure there's many of you who have stories and experiences that you want to share or you want to discuss. If there's anything in particular that you want to continue on a conversation with, with Pastor Thomas, um, his email is right here. It's godwithus.thomas at gmail.com. He is more than happy to talk with you. Um, but before we wrap up here, and please forgive us for going over a few minutes, but Asha had a really great question that I want to bring um, to your attention, Pastor Thomas. So she asked if it's common for witchcraft to be mixed in with Hinduism. Um, what's been your experience with that? And how would you encourage her to minister to her family members who are practicing Hinduism, maybe with some witchcraft? Good question. Very good question. And definitely, definitely many, many um, Hindus would be involved in witchcraft. Uh, again, this is to show their power. You know, there are gods. Again, when you have this Easter Devata, some gods are more fierce, more powerful. So you know what? My God is more powerful than yours. So I want this. So everybody would choose their favorite God. And so with that comes even witchcraft. Uh, in fact, I have had friends who come from the, this, you know, fierce background and they would do witchcraft and, okay, I don't want them to do well in business. So if they have cows, they would have these spirits based on this witchcraft. They would have these evil spirits kind of with them and they would allow the, uh, send the evil spirits to go and drink all the milk from the cows because he is doing good in business and then the cows would just die. I mean, I've heard stories like this. And so, the, you know, definitely, I would, I would want all of us to definitely prayerfully go. Uh, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities and powers of the dark of the enemy. Um, you know, we can definitely bathe ourselves with prayer 
But what I would say is we don't even have to, you know, talk about or touch the witchcraft part of it. But I think love. But of course, you know, if they if they talk about that, you could say, let me pray. You know, definitely, I think that would be something that we could approach. That's how you could approach. Hey, uh, you know, I'm struggling with this, and you could probably bring out the gospel with that. Hey, you know what? Yes, witchcraft probably somebody has cursed you, but you could say Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He put an end to every curse. We are no longer under the curse because Jesus took everything upon Himself. Yes, there might be witchcraft that uh, somebody has tried to do over you, but now when you are in Christ, there's nothing that could affect you. So that's that's another way that we could share uh, the gospel. But of course, you know that's a little complex uh, 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 subject to deal. Uh, Sister Asha, you know, I'm more than happy to kind of uh, go uh, with you. My experience, uh, in fact, in Bangalore, uh, we as a, as a team, as a team of pastors, you know, we have driven out demons because of witchcraft and things like that. So I can share you stories of how God did it. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a little complex and not to scare anyone, but, you know, definitely uh, see these idols. You know, that's my concern. You know, when, when people are bringing these idols, you know, we think it's just an idol, but that's a demon. You know, and when we give Satan a small foothold, he's going to slowly make it a stronghold. And so, of course, as long as we don't know much about it, it's not going to affect us. But these little idols are little demons. And so we need to be careful, even as we go into their homes, we pray and say, God, you protect me, you shield me. And God is with you, in you. And it can be nothing, as he promised, I will be with you to the end of the age. He is with you, he's in you. And so with that confidence, go and share the love of Christ. And God will come here to work with you. Amen. Thank you so much for your time, for your information, your knowledge, even your experiences. Thank you for sharing them with us. Um, this was an invaluable hour and, and um, some change. So thank you all for coming and joining us this evening. For now, you have been equipped and enabled. Now go and share the gospel with Hindus. I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time. Um, we thank you for blessing every word that came out of Pastor Thomas's mouth. And I pray that everything that we learned tonight, we would remember in our hearts and in our minds and that we would truly put it into practice. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see our Hindu family members, neighbors and friends in a new way. Um, I pray that we would see them as people that need your love, need the truth and need authentic relationships with us, your children. So I pray that um, we would be intentional in continuing to build and cultivate those relationships and that we would never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we pray all of these things in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Amen.